Welcome to the Pro Aging Podcast. I'm Steve Gurney, founder of Positive Aging Sourcebook. We're excited that you can join us for our interactive discussions with pioneers and thought leaders on a wide variety of topics related to aging and longevity. Aging life care management is a holistic, client-centered approach to caring for older adults or others facing ongoing health challenges. Every month we come together for a live and interactive conversation with a panel of aging life care managers to get to know these professionals and learn how they help their clients and find solutions. This month we featured Aging Life Care Association members, Robin Mansfield of Aging Network Services, Marianne Buckley of Corwood Care, and Karen McPhail of Eldementals. So let's jump into the conversation. Panel members uh, to turn to join us and uh, let me stop sharing my screen here. So we've got um, Marianne Buckley with Corewood Care. We've got Robin Mansfield with Aging Network Services, and we are about to see. Karen McPhail with Edumentals. I and Karen, tell me how I pronounce that. It's Eldumentals. It's Eldumentals. like Eldumentals. Yeah, or fundamentals okay. of. Okay. <laughs> okay, don't worry. I can I can mispronounce the last name Smith. So uh, welcome, <laughs> and uh, we are we are really excited to feature you on this discussion. And just for the the audience. Uh, we we're, I break these discussions into three rounds. Round one is getting to know the care managers and their organizations. Round two is the care managers just sharing interesting bits of wisdom or ideas or tips or what have you. And then round three, you and the audience are in the driver's seat for round three because that's where we wanna to respond to your questions, your comments, your concerns, your insights. Um, this is for, for everybody. So um, let's jump into round one. And Karen, since you're, well, actually, I'll go in the order that's on my screen here. Let me start with Robin with Aging Network Services. And uh, Robin, tell us a little bit about yourself and Aging Network Services. Well, do. Thank you, Steve. And thanks, Lisa, for sponsoring this. This was really great. And I took your phone number down. It's just fantastic. And thanks, Steve, for for having these conversations over the last couple of months. It's been a great way to stay connected during a very, very tough time. Um, so I'm with Aging Network Services. I've been with them 10 years, which is about 25% of their lifespan. Aging Network Services has been around 35, almost 40 years. It was the first care management um, agency in the area. We are all master's level social workers. So um, there's seven of us and we operate as care managers or aging life care managers. We also offer psychotherapy. So we have a pretty thriving psychotherapy practice. And if you're an aging life care manager, you know how well those two things go hand in hand and they're kept very separate. So if we're working with a family and someone from that family does want psychotherapy, um, we can accommodate that. But we take a lot of referrals for psychotherapy outside of um, our, our case management, our care management families. Um, we do consultations. We worked uninterrupted like everybody else did through COVID, pivoting hard to Zoom, which has had some real benefits, right? I mean, we've been able to get a lot of siblings on calls, uh, whereas they have to come to our office in Bethesda. Now we can do a lot more sibling work. Um, we do consultation, care management, psychotherapy, short-term, long-term. And I think our bent is more psychotherapy-oriented or, or psychiatrically-oriented. Um, we do a lot of co sibling conflict work. Um, and just the fact that we're all sort of psychiatrically um, we tend toward the psychiatric, all of us as um, master's level social workers. I say we tend to have a lot of families with those sorts of issues. Um, great. Yeah, thanks. Oh, that's great. And uh, I, I'm sure we'll get into it, but you know, think about you know, pre-COVID, how most of us had never even done 
a telehealth consultation and now we're doing them every day. It's amazing. So uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll dive into that topic. Um, so Marianne, I, I got you next on the list here. Marianne um, Buckley with Corewood Care. Uh, Marianne, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your background and Corewood Care. Sure. Um, I have my bachelor's and master's in social work, and I've been working with older adults for about the past 30 years. And um, I joined Corwood Care three years ago, um, but it's, it's, a, it's about a six-year-old company founded by Mary O'Donohue, an attorney who is working but really felt that wasn't her passion um, she knew what caregiving was like because at the end of her father's life, he had caregiving. So she decided to go into the um, field of home care. So I think we're fairly unique in the area in that we have home care as well as care management, which is such a great um, service delivery. Um, I have um, five care managers on the team. We also have associate care managers and wellness partners, um, just to give a complement of services to our older adults, as well as home care. Uh, we serve uh, Montgomery County, DC, and uh, Northern Virginia as well. Great. And uh, last but definitely not least, Karen McPhail with El Dementals. I got it right this time, I hope. Okay, good. Well good. done. Yeah, yes. by the end of the meeting, I, I'll say it without El Dementals. But uh, Karen, tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, and your organization. Okay. Um, I'm a little bit different. I'm trained as a registered nurse. I have a bachelor's of, bachelor's of science in nursing. I have a master's of science in nursing administration. Uh, I also completed studies as a family health nurse practitioner. And I'm currently completing my psychiatric and mental health nurse practitioner certificate. That's kind of a, you know, a jumble of words, but clearly, you know, Elementals is about really being clinical experts and we are very clinically strong with what we do. Um, so a lot of people come to us really because they need a strong clinician, not just an advocate. Um, we've, we've been practicing in the DC metro area for quite some time. I have over 30 years of experience in the healthcare industry and we've been doing virtual care management since, you know, the beginning. Um, so it's something that really wasn't tough for us during COVID. We continued to have our Doxy platform and have access for our clients. Um, so again, we really specialize in chronic care management. Um, we provide concierge style care management. So we're a little bit more focused on our clients um, and making sure that we're meeting their express wishes. Uh, we do long-term care planning, which is, a, is very different. Not all care managers do that, but we um, have been doing long-term care planning for quite a while. Um, we have a great step-by-step uh, -step guide and template for our clients that they can use to complete. And we work along with other you know, uh, team members to really make that a holistic approach. Um, and then we also have a lot of other services in terms of, you know, we do a capacity evaluations, we have strong home activity programs and programming, and uh, we do relocation services to custom fit things for individuals, along with, of course, traditional geriatric care management. So, you know, we're aging life care professionals and my team and myself, but we're also, um, care managers for a variety of ages, we across the continuum. So um, that's something that's a little bit different. Um, I'm a certified uh, care man case manager also, and um, kind of went into care management because of just really feeling a frustration across you know, healthcare. I, I you know, started out as an ICU nurse years ago in transplant and actually worked with Tom Starzl and, and, and with UNOS and kind of forming those initial standards of practice and, and some of the things that we now do today. And I remember when the patients left the ICU feeling like, yikes, you know, what's happened? You know, I'd find out the statistics and how we were doing, but I felt lost. So, you know, over time, I started focusing my goals on being able to meet really the needs of individuals across the continuum of care and, and being able to impact them, I feel in a more meaningful way. So. That's great. Uh, thanks, Karen. And um, so that's round one. We've got to know our panel members here. And one of the things that I love about this is just to 
to see the differences in the practitioners and the differences in the practices and the similarities. Um, that's been one of the fun things about these discussions and uh, the back and forth amongst the, 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 the panel members. But let's, uh, let's move to round two, which is sort of just share with us some insights, you know, that might be helpful to our audience uh, that's listening now, but also those that are going to be listening to the recording. And um, anything goes, and, and this is all the, also an opportunity for me to remind the audience that feel free to jump in with anything that you would like our care managers to comment on. Uh, you may have a client that you're working with that you want to sort of share some of the details. That would be fun. But um, but Robin, I'll jump back to you. Okay. What, what um, do you yeah, I, I, in thinking about this, I just felt like such a good time to take stock a little bit. And I just want to throw out, um, I, I didn't add what I'd also done in my previous, I went back to school as a social worker mid-career. And I've worked with elders or older people since 1991. And I've done activities. I've done programming. I've worked for Marriott Senior Living. If you guys oh, remember them, <laughs> I go way back. So, Probably most people in the yeah, audience I, don't even it didn't, realize Until Marianne, until you said, I've been doing this 30 years, I didn't realize, <laughs> oh my gosh, so have I. But I've only been a social worker for 10 years. So the two things that kind of struck me and wanting to bring is I feel I'm just now starting to go back and see clients. And it's just been a breath of fresh air to go into assisted livings. I haven't been to a nursing home yet. Um, and to see clients in person again. And it's just been such a relief. And I remember so much in the beginning when we all would meet on those Thursday calls and the, the gloom and doom that we felt about not only our industry, but our clients and how are they gonna survive this? Um, and everybody knows the one thing you should not do with people with dementia is isolate them. And that's exactly what we did for 14 months. So I feel like we've all, home care agencies, um, senior living, care managers, everybody, we've just been living with this experiment. It's like a lab experiment, pure lab experiment. Okay, let's see what happens to people when we isolate them for 14 months. And I've just been so pleasantly surprised. Yes, I've seen decline in my clients, but walking back into these buildings where um, the private duty aides, the activity, the enrichment staff, the EDs, I've been so um, sort of overwhelmed with appreciation for what our industry has been through. And I feel like we, it's, it's brought us a lot close together, not to sound too hokey, but just every conversation I'm having with every professional has just been loaded with, we've done it, we're going to survive. And there were times where I think a lot of people, I talked to senior living companies where they didn't have any move-ins for 10 months. And then you wonder about viability or doctors who can't see their clients. So I've just been really... Um, feeling kind of blessed and grateful for the community and for the resilience of my clients. I, I have a number of clients that are doing better than they were pre-COVID. And that is directly related to private duty caregivers and to senior living companies. Um, I wasn't in there on the ground with them. These folks were. So that's been um, a real thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately. The other, I think one of our biggest challenges moving forward, I think that now that there's all this pent up demand coming and we're really busy, everybody's kind of, the phones are ringing. It's easy to talk to families about, you can get good caregivers, they're all vaccinated. You can go into senior living again, or you can stay at home and bring people in because now we know we've been through it, it's awesome. There's no fear about going into senior living or there is, but one of the things is if this happens again, they're the ones that are going to be most adept at dealing with it because they've been through it before. So there's a lot of reassurance alongside the fear, but one of our biggest challenges, I think still remains the psychiatric portion of this. And as I think the, the younger baby boomers move into, we're getting a lot of calls, Vietnam vets, things like that, families of younger boomers. Um, and I hope the industry 
will be able to respond in some way that the medical community is not. The medical community can't provide beds for people that have some psychosis and need better um, psychiatric support. So I'm really, I'm really hoping these big companies can respond in some way to providing better, stronger, more real um, psychiatric support in the senior living communities. Right. Um, but I overall, I've just been so pleased to be a part of this community. It's just been a long yeah. year and a, a support. I feel like we're all a lot closer. Thanks to yeah. partly to you, Steve, for keeping. Well, yeah, but but I think that basically being going through adversity, no matter what it is, you know, if you're training for a marathon and you're stressing your body, it makes you stronger. And uh, we'll be able to respond to a lot more uh, down the road. Um, so that, that was great. Great to kick it off there, Robin. And um, the um, Marianne, how about you? You want to jump in with some thoughts? You can piggyback off what Robin said. I also have some questions coming in that we can jump on, but I want to I want to do round two and then we'll, we'll get oh, okay. Okay, I think what I'd like to talk about or, or share with you when I think when I have this ability to talk to people and I know there's many of you 79 people out there um, is that uh, why I love the work that I do and, and aging life care association and, and the work that we do number one it's the it's at the heart of social work, which is going doing home visits really being able to see people in their own environment. We were pretty much all vaccinated by um, by the end of January, so we were we were doing home visits. Um, this is such a unique profession. Um, unfortunately, not everybody knows about us, but once they hear about care management and what we can do, um, it's really filling a need for people who are in crisis or you know mom's at the hospital and they don't know what to do or mom and dad are at the hot both of them are at the hospital things like that so i describe this to uh, potential clients and their family members that it's a very comprehensive service but it's so individualized so whatever the client and family needs it's so individualized to them we can do so much but we can also educate families um, and see what they can and want to do, um, taking into account family dynamics um, and things like that. So, so it's comprehensive yet individualized. I think a lot of what we do is also teaching, um, a lot of education, a lot of handholding, a lot of referrals. So I'm always interested and excited to meet uh, people from new services and new senior communities and things like that. Um, because I think when a call is made to care management, we know that, a, that an older adult is struggling and or the family members who live either close by but have you know the sandwich generation, they've got the kids at home and mom and dad and things like that. Um, or they don't live in the area and they feel at a loss that nobody, you know, they're not able to really walk into mom's house and see what it looks like. So I think it's just, um, we wear, if, if we had to have a day where the three of us, Robin, Karen, and I wore as many hats as services that we provided, you would see, <laughs> we would see that um, children's book with all these hats on top of our heads because we provide different things to different uh, clients. So it can be talking about hospice. It can be talking about where to order incontinence products. It's how to get the snow shoveled off the front driveway. Who's the best neurologist? So it's just, uh, there's, I, and I think the three of uh, my, my co-presenters will agree. And Steve, who knows this well, it's never a dull moment. You're you're always doing something unique and different and, and helping people. So yeah, it's, great. Uh, it's great. Excellent. And uh, Karen, uh, uh, jump in and, and then and share, share some thoughts and then we'll start addressing some of the questions that are coming in. Okay. Um, but, but actually to, to jump ahead, I know one of your passion areas is LGBT elders. Um, you wanna tell us a little bit about what you're doing in that area? Well, yeah, I, 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 I do, Steve. I, you know, it's been difficult. COVID has been difficult for everyone. 
you know, but I will say, and I echo what, you know, what Marianne and Robin have, have, have said already, but, you know, I think one thing just to start as a care manager, um, it's kind of validated my practice a bit, to be honest, you know, the core of what we do as care managers are really, it's really a lot of planning and emergency planning is a key component of what we do as aging life care professionals. Mm -hmm. So for me, I felt like with elementals, it was tough, but we had already planned for our clients. We had planned for their socialization in case of an emergency. We had planned for so many components, safe and home care, support in a care community, support in memory care. So we were really being proactive in our approaches. So we didn't feel like we had to be so reactive. We were creative, yes, in our approaches, but, but our clients had what they needed because we had already pre-planned for them in the event of an emergency. So, um, you know, I think that's something that people don't realize that we do as aging life care professionals. We provide peace of mind because we have those holistic planning things in, in place for, for virtual counseling, for other things to support the holistic aspects. So in terms of, you know, our clients, we did a lot, but our LGBT, yes, Steve, there, there were more challenges. You know, we have, you know, when you look at LGBT older adults, we have a whole history of mistrust not just of healthcare providers, of government officials, of, of, of all the programs that you would typically access during a time of this. So it was tough. I've worked a lot with Sage Care. We've worked with their Sage Connect program to do friendly calls, um, to try and encourage people. We're, we're doing an upcoming through an organization that I myself helped to start called Aging Rainbows. Um, we're doing an upcoming Sage Table to um, really recognize LGBT older adults. We're going to, in the local DC metro area, provide even refreshments that they can safely pick up contact free to then you know, share a meal with individuals and, and be able to network online in a safe environment. Um, you know, we're, we're planning wonderful things and we're trying to link LGBT older adults with, with programs that they feel safe through Aging Rainbows. Um, you know, if, if individuals are out there and you have clients that are LGBT, please take a look at agingrainbows.org because we have a lot of resources. We've been trying to create safe situations for elder care, safe situations for contact with primary care physicians, um, home care companies, and giving people choices for you know, um, different assisted living and rehab centers and other you know environments for them to be able to age on their terms. So you know it has been a even bigger challenge for LGBT. Yeah, great. I, I know that many in the audience have probably seen it's an older film now, but Jen Silent. Oh. And if you haven't seen that, it's such an eye-opening experience because. Elder care challenges are challenging for all of us. There's no doubt about that. But when you, in this documentary, they talked about how, you know, you saw how some families were separated um, from their family members because of their, um, and again, I'm botching, yeah. because they're LGBT. Okay. You know. Well, they do different, not to interject, Steve, but I know um, Joseph Applebaum, who directed, you know, obviously, this, and actually is coming out with another documentary. I think it's called The Loneliness Factor or something soon. Oh, great. Um, it may even be out. I apologize to Joseph if it's already out there. But I, I, um, it's a terrific, Jen Silent is a terrific film. It should be seen by everyone because it really does detail the lives of, I think, I think it's like four or five individuals. And it shows someone who is dying from cancer and the struggles with home care and support and being estranged from their family of origin and what, how that impacts them at the end of their life. It, it shows someone caring for their loved one with Parkinson's in a care community and, and really hiding because they're afraid that they won't be accepted. They're afraid of what their loved one will feel like or be treated like in that care community. It shows a variety of, of, of just individuals and scenarios. And it is eye-opening. It is powerful. If you leave Jen silent without a tear in your eye, I hate to judge, but there's something wrong. Because, <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, that was judgy. I apologize. But it is a powerful film that honestly everyone should see because all individuals deserve proper health care. All and it's not it's not a privilege, it's a right. All individuals deserve choice. And and that's something that honestly is not always happening right now. So um yeah. anyhow. 
so I'll step down from my soapbox. No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we did. And I'm, I'm throwing in a, uh, I threw in a link to Jen Silent uh, in there as well as some of the other things that we've referenced. So let's dive into some of the questions that are coming in. Um, so Tawanda Young uh, asks, what insurances do you all accept? And, and if you guys could maybe share some of that insight uh, and actually, here, let me jump ahead. I think somebody else said, yeah, what insurances do you, do you accept? And, and I think somebody else asked about sort of fees for care managers. Um, and you can speak generally or broadly. It doesn't matter um, if you guys wanted to address those. Sure. Does anyone want to start? I mean, I can say in terms of care management, we accept long-term care insurance. We're covered by most long-term care insurance companies. And Eldamentals LLC as just a blanket policy, we never decline anyone for care management services. So, you know, we you know do have a set fee, but we work within any need and budget. And we also consider documented financial hardship. So no one ever contacts us without support. So that's, that's just us. I know um, for counseling, it's different. Yeah, for counseling, we, um, Aging Network Services accepts Medicare, and then we accept um, the secondary, and that's for the psychotherapy. On the care management side, again, we are covered by whichever long-term care insurance policies you have, but we don't, we're private pay. Um, the great thing about care management, though, and I think this is across the board, and we, this is what we tell everybody, it doesn't cost you a dime to talk to us. You can call us, we give a 30 minute consultation on the phone, we tell them about our, they tell us about their situation, we tell them about our fees. And even at the end of that phone call, if they're, if we're not the right fit, we, they're going to walk away with a couple resources that we can give them. Um, and the other thing is you can do a cons single consultation and do even more um, in that consultation, which is less expensive. You don't have to do ongoing care management. You can do a consultation one month circle. I have a guy that's circling back to me next Monday that talked to me last year and his uh, mother-in-law has declined and now he wants to come back. Um, so it's, it's, you know, there are, there are choices within long-term, short-term you don't have to sign a contract on the dotted line to do week-to-week -week care management, which is costly. It is definitely costly. And not to interject, it really shouldn't cost you. We shouldn't be, at least with our model, the way we work, we come in and you may need us a little bit more at the beginning, but it's on your terms. But then our whole point is to create a plan. So the things are stabilized and then we're there kind of as that security deposit. You know, if, if something happens in the future, you can, you know, contact us and we're there, you know, to do, to advocate, to do whatever. But yeah, it really shouldn't be every single day that you need the care manager. You know, if another episode of care forms, then we're there again. And you may need us a little bit more to kind of put a plan in place again and stabilize. But, but again, you know, like Robin's saying, it, it shouldn't be every day and it's on your terms. Great. Marianne, you want to? Yeah, same thing. We do accept long-term care insurance. Uh, read that closely to make sure there's something in the policy that will allow you to. Um, and it's usually just the assessment part. Yeah. But I tell families, it's not like I've read every long-term care insurance policy because I haven't, but I'm happy to look it over. And, and again, my point being is we need to educate family members. Some of them never looked at it. So I said, get it out and let's look at it and see if, if, if we can, and we can certainly help you with that process. But we are a fee for service. We have quite a few, um, and talking about the flexibility, we have quite a few clients that we go out, do an assessment, meet with them, take all of their information, give them some recommendations. Um, and this happens to be quite a few of people who have no family in the area. And then it's on an as-needed basis. So whenever they call us and we are 24-7, we mobilize. Um, my, my favorite thing is how we got started with this was a woman who said, you know, I'm 85. My daughter's in another country. <coughs> Excuse me. And if I get sick, I don't want one of my 85-year-old friends to come help me go to the hospital or think that one of my 85-year-old friends is going to ask the doctor, you know, questions and stuff. So we're a phone call away for her. There's no charge now. She's not called us or needed us, but when there is, 
then we step in and assist. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, this is really, and, and the audience is responding to this uh, because I think this is a question that always comes up. And I think the thing that I would say to the audience and to the readers of Sourcebook is it would be, it's a shame that if anybody is not using the aging life care manager because of costs, I think you get all three have illustrated yeah. there are ways to sort of work within any budget. It might not be sort of the roll out the red carpet around the clock sort of consultation, but just little words of wisdom can make a huge difference and um, in, in the ongoing care. Yeah, I mean, one thing I'd like to add, Steve, is honestly, as you grow older or if you have a chronic condition, planning is key. I can't reinforce that enough to people. You know, having a one-time just phone consult or a one-time evaluation to do long-term care planning and having that document completed and having that all in place and having all the right associated parties to provide you with support is worth its weight in gold. And it costs very little. And, and for some people, honestly, it costs nothing if they have financial hardship. So, yeah. you know, and, and, and some people have financial hardship. And honestly, if you don't look at that and start planning for that, it's not gonna go away. It, it, you know, it's gonna create a problem where your expressed wishes can't be supported and they can be with planning. See, can I give you a little gem from yesterday? That's exactly what I'm talking about. I had a client, a potential client who called. Her mom's in a place where there's not a care manager. She's really decompensating, lots of psychosis along with aging. And the daughters are all around. And so they're not sure if they're going to use us. They might move her here. If they do, they will. Um, but during the course of that conversation, she let me know that she calls her mom every day. This is a woman with three little kids under the age of five. I call my mom every day. How long do you talk? Well, we try to talk at least two hours. Holy so cow. she is managing. She is. And when I get off the phone, then I found out my sister's also calling her every day and they're talking two hours. And so that's the perfect kind of thing where a care, uh, aging life care manager is going to say, you know, does that work for you? No, I'm exhausted. Okay, well, we can do a consultation around that one time working on boundaries, reading Barbara's book, how to set limits. And then we can work on a plan B. If she is gonna move down here, we can give you some places to look. So it's like, she would never, that never would have happened had she not called. She didn't realize that she had a different option that she didn't have to call every day. Well, and this little gem of free advice that she, even if they don't engage us, she was like, oh yeah. my God, I never even yeah. realized that. So, um, yeah, so let's here, let's jump in. I, I really want you guys to jump on this next question here, and I'm not going to name co communities, but um, Adele says, I have a client whose mom and stepdad are in different stages of dementia. They're currently in a community that has independent living with a nurse companion aide coming several hours a week. They don't like it in this community and they want to move maybe maybe move in with my client and i'm not sure if if adele is thinking of moving in with her client but i have my doubts about that one because you never know the trajectory your thoughts or advice i think this is one that you guys probably hear a lot of is is that uh, a family who has a parent in a community and you know they don't like that community they want to move like how do you deal with these these types of challenges that folks are faced with and break it down into figuring out what is the best next direction to go. I think it's always so important to start off with doing a lot of listening, you know? Um, it, you know, I think um, everyone will agree that the assessment process, while you go in and you start working with the family, you do your assessment. I'm also assessing the children, the, you know, everybody within the support network of that family, we're, you know, kind of doing an assessment on, but we're doing a lot of listening to find out. I mean, we, we have had clients over the years who have not liked their senior living community and 
they made a move and they didn't like the second one. You know what that's I mean? That's so my point. I wanted yeah, uh, I, I'm glad that one came up. Yeah, you just have to walk in with the, and you are the professional and you are listening and talking with everybody in that community or environment just to kind of figure that out. And it's the family dynamics and the staff dynamics and everything at play there. So I always like to feel like we're going in with a fresh slate and a new set of eyes to look and then help help in that situation. So yeah, I, the puzzle. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of components that go into relocation. And you know, one thing that we do, you know, in terms of not just getting, we're we're very passionate about assessing cognition across the continuum, obviously, and doing a good chronology of health information so that we understand and we're making sure that that we're planning, you know, we're understanding as close to, you know, so many people come out of the neurologist with dementia unspecified stamped. So we're trying to get a good clinical picture for planning um, because there's a lot more that goes into relocation for individuals than just picking a care community based on just express preferences. There's also, you know, how is this dementia going to unfold? What type of support do we need? Um, what, what, what are the next best steps so that we can support both individuals? You know, is there a care community that can support and has levels, you know, of, of care in terms of dementia and, and, and groupings to engage individuals at the best level? Um, so we're taking, you know, we take a very holistic approach because there's a lot of components. There's looking at what are the expressed wishes of the individual? What are the documents in place? Um, what are the family dynamics? Um, you know, what is the relationship between, between the couple? Do they have a cohesive relationship? Um, and again, just looking at all of those aspects, you know, um, I get so upset when people choose care communities based on, well, they had a beautiful one bedroom in memory care. Well, you know, that, that's terrific, but understanding why sometimes a less is more approach is better, you know, um, and understanding how their dementia is unfolding and what the critical components are going to be in terms of managing that um, along with the family. So I think there's a lot of things you can't just, you know, um, that go into. Yeah. And the listening is key. I had a, yeah. I had a, I had a couple, sorry to jump in, that this exact yeah. thing happened. And as it turns out, it's not the community they didn't like, it's, it was each other. There you go. The it took a lot of listening, Marianne. You're so true. Actually, it took a few visits. It wasn't a one visit time. No, and we came up with a solution that the one needed more care and they couldn't afford two apartments. So we found a day center. Yeah, and breaking through and getting transparency of information exchange is key. It takes time to build trust with individuals before they're going to give you the full picture. Sometimes I have families, they'll call me back and they'll say, you know what, Karen? I didn't tell you the truth at all. I didn't want to present this in the wrong framework. And I'm like, great, that's okay, relax. Let's talk about it again so we can really make meaningful choices and make good decisions and act on individuals' wishes appropriately, so. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, one of the things when you talk about listening and, and that's what you guys all went to school for and that you practice on a daily basis, but it's the value of an objective third party listening to the situation. Because oftentimes, when we're in our families, we're used to hearing something from mom and dad or from my, my aggressive older sister, you know, and, and you're not really listening to it because you think they're saying what they said, they've been saying for the last 20 years when they're trying to say something different. And that's where teams like you can really break through that. Um, let's see, we had... A question, I know you sort of addressed insurance and, and things of that nature, and I don't want to make cost a big thing here, but somebody just asked the question, what is the average general fees for ongoing care management? And, and I don't know if that's a question that you can answer, but I want to throw it out there. It depends on the client and the complexity of the situation and also what the client's expectations are. You know, um, I think, you know, sometimes also in terms of, of even doing an evaluation, a capacity or a cognitive evaluation, the time can vary. Generally, after I speak with a client on the phone the first time or a family member, um, we do get a little bit of information um, in advance of doing an evaluation or doing an assessment. And when families, one of the things I ask them is, are there financial concerns or constraints? Tell me about it. Because at the end of the game, you know, I think everyone, no matter how much money you have, 
you can spend it, you know, um, and, and that's something that care management also does maximizes funds. We kind of prevent people from making costly expenditures that, that they can do very quickly accidentally and they can add up. Um, but it, it depends. We can give individuals kind of an idea of, listen, are these the type of services you want? And we even have a checklist, I'll be honest, Steve, to help with that. So that when people call us, we provide them or they reach out to us, we provide them with the checklist. And that can give them an idea based on what they're looking for, how much time, you know, is needed. But again, it depends. We don't have cookie cutter people and everyone's expectations are different. You know, Robin, I think you had something to chime in. No, again, we talk to everybody for 30 minutes at no charge. And then yeah. it depends on the single consultation versus ongoing care management versus consultation. So I hate to give out fees because it turns, it can turn people off. It can, and it's expensive. It's fee for service. So, but again, um, sometimes just one consultation can make all the difference in the world. Um, yeah. Do you guys you know. publish your fees, Marianne? Do you I publish? Don't. No, but I'll take I'll take a stab just because I've been doing care management for like I was trying to count up and I think I think I'm in my 18th year. Um, so I would say over the course of years, I think if you ask generally in the metro area, I would say we're probably anywhere from 150 to maybe close to $200 an hour. Um, that there's a range there. You need to call places and talk with them. I talk with people on the phone and then I actually, no cost, no charge. If they seem interested, I go to their home. Um, and I can do that now, although I've had outdoor visits, patio visits, um, during COVID and sit down and talk with them. I, I think that's a wonderful thing because older adults, number one, don't know what care management is. I think they're relieved when they find out that I don't have horns and I'm not a mean lady and I'm not gonna put them in a nursing home. Um, it's really the benefits us because then if they choose to work with us, then I've got a better idea uh, who on my team would be a good match. Um, and I've been in their home already. And when I leave, I say, look at if you're gonna use our services, now you've met me, I'm the director. Do you have any questions, any concerns, whatever? You know me, I've been in your home, please pick up the phone and call me. So that there's no charge for that. And sometimes they call us the next day to work with us. Sometimes it's the next month. Sometimes it's six months later when a, mm -hmm. and I know um, Robin and Karen are shaking their heads when there is a crisis and then they call on us. So it's yeah. just really making those relationships. So yes, we're a little bit different, mm -hmm. but I, that's the general range, Steve. Is that okay? okay? Yeah, and it's good. You know, I, 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 they all, it always comes up on cost, whether it's this yeah. or the elder law, but it's yeah. just, it's like getting a home remodeling project yeah. Hiring an attorney, right. it, it's very difficult to sort of say, yeah. oh, this is how much it costs. But yeah. I want to, I know we got a hard stop at one in, in 10 minutes. And I, I love this question that came in from an anonymous attendee. This is a good discussion question for y'all. Any advice for a family who's wanting to move their loved one from a senior community to another senior community? Boy, it's a theme today. Who to has dementia and mental health diagnosis and not willing to take medications to get them in a more stable state. The current community has stated they have given up on the resident and are not collaborating for a successful transition of the resident in providing a psych eval or care plan information. Can a care manager help advocate for the family and ensure a safe transition to their next home? How would you go about doing so? Um, Wow, give me a call. Jump on this one, guys. <laughs> it's all like, yes, we can advocate. I did. I'm actually moving someone similar tomorrow. I just moved someone from one to another. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, but it sounds like, you know, one of the things that I always recommend care managers is in making a transition to any community, whether it's one to another or from your home to a community, you've got this advocate. It, it based on the way that that was written, I'm wondering had they th this family moved in with a care manager advocating for them, perhaps the outcome might have been a little bit different. Is is that um, Very you know good. You they need to, an advocate? They need an advocate because clearly they're in the wrong environment. 
to be honest. You know, the care community should be working with the family on mutual goals. And, and when I hear stories like this, it concerns me about how much they understand about cognitive impairment and how much they have in place in terms of their staff training to be able to manage effectively cognitive impairment in a collaborative setting. It should always be a collaborative team effort. So those are red flags to me when I hear stories like that. And as a care manager, that's when, you know, I'm, I'm getting in sooner versus later to start to foster a commu communication, to get information and to understand where are we, what have we tried and, and, and how can we work collaboratively? Because it doesn't sound like it's a collaborative yeah. environment with I mean, a good strong knowledge base of the management of effective management rather yeah. of cognitive impairment. It's, it's, all, it's always hard to jump in on this scenario because you don't know what the family's been doing. You don't know what the, the mental health looks like, the behaviors. I would say though, if there's a hardcore uh, non-cooperation, then that rises definitely to the ombudsman level. And that's a really simple free place to start is to contact the ombudsman. And they, mm -hmm. I don't know if they're going back into communities, but they're definitely still working. Um, and so that that's a good free place to start. Mm -hmm. um, again, going back to Marianne, listening to all sides, um, coming into the situation would be key because we're only hearing the one side. And, um, you know, maybe a care manager takes over the day-to-day -day calls and the day-to-day -day, um, contact with the community they're trying to leave to soften the blow. Um, and, you know, ideally you want that to be a nice transition. Um, it, you know, and whether it's AL or SNF, SNFs are harder to leave because there's clinical information that really needs to be transferred and there's transportation that needs to be um, um, arranged. So it's the, the clinicals of the SNF are a lot more, yeah, you really is. have to have the cooperation of the one they're leaving. So, uh, but I, you might start with an ombudsman. I don't know, Marianne, you have anything else? No, I, I agree. And I'm going to, just to bring that point home, uh, a sad story that we had um, several months ago for a wife who was on like a vacation with her husband, he out of state, he had some medical issues and she felt like she couldn't get the staff at the hospital and then the subacute rehab to talk to her. Um, I suggested an aging life care manager down where she was visiting, but she really wanted the help also when she came back and things like that. Anyways, she worked with us. And can you believe the staff at the hospital and long-term care? Now this was out of state because we know nobody in our area would do this. But the staff at both hospital and long-term care told the care manager that the wife was too needy, oh. too anxious, and so they wanted to get her off the phone as quick as they could. It's awful. Again, communication is, you know, being that opening your ears, doing your assessment, getting to know everybody, developing a relationship, and everything was smooth, and the wife brought him home and everything, but that was at the heart of it. They yeah. purposely didn't want to communicate with her because she was too nervous and they were too busy. So yeah, that's that's the core of what we do almost every day to be his advocacy. Yeah. I'll yeah. be honest, advocacy is and I, we do a lot of in our practice mediation almost, you know, um, work because we are right. trying to make sure because people have to realize the core of everything we're doing is based on the client's expressed wishes. And sometimes I see people not doing that. You know, They're making choices or, or giving recommendations. It's like, well, can we look back at the documents, please? We need to value what's in writing. We need to value the expressed wishes and bring those forward because that's our obligation to them. Why, especially care. All right, guys, we got four minutes and uh, I got one question left that I'm gonna, I'm gonna address because I think it's a great one and it's uh, again, anonymous. Thanks for your educational teaching and information. Can this relationship be established and set up before it's needed? In other words, before acute or an emergency need, and, and they go on a little bit there. I think that's what everybody in this field dreams of is yes. that, you know, yes. that people, and this is one of the reasons why I love this forum is, is if there's one thing that we can encourage and it's, I'm assuming it's probably the minority of all of our clients is that advanced planning um, yes. versus the crisis. If you guys would want to share some thoughts on that in closing, 
And uh, again, we, we saved the recording, we saved the chat. This will go out to everybody after the meeting. I, I know Karen's gonna talk about planning, but one of the things that I've learned through this is this is human nature. People tend to act in a crisis and the value of a social worker or a BN or a nurse who does care management is the value of non-reactivity. So the clients may be coming to us and reacting in a crisis and our job is to let them know this crisis is manageable. And so we respond, we listen and respond and we make a plan, but we don't react with them. We bring them down to a, a level where it, it doesn't feel like a crisis anymore. And that sounds hokey, but that's what we're paid to do. Problem. Sorry. <laughs> work the problem you know i i i agree completely i i i say to my clients every day planning is the key to success if you don't know where you're going you're going to end up someplace else <laughs> bottom line you know so I, again you know if you have a chronic condition you know even at a younger age um or if you're an older adult it's so important to sit down with the care manager and let them help you form that team, you know? And, and again, yeah, we create that calmness, you know, people come to us, they never call me because I'm having a good day, you know, but we try and make it at the end of the call, if they're not happy. And if someone doesn't say to me, gosh, I feel a lot better. I feel like I haven't done my job, you know, and I'll ask them at the end, do you feel better? Has this been helpful? And usually, yeah, we pretty much all the time get that. Yes. But it is important. And, and don't be afraid if you're out there and you have financial issues or you have other limitations, don't be embarrassed. Don't be afraid because if we hit these things head on, no matter what you have, no matter what your chronic condition is or your financial hardship is or limitations, we can find a plan and, and it will work for you, but ignoring will lead to nothing good. Great. And Marianne, you want to say the last words on to plan or not to plan or anything? Yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time, we would love to come in in a non-emergency fashion, but it's up to you and we can, and we've got experience in both. Um, it would be easier. And I think it's like Robin had suggested, it's people, you know, make better decision when there's not a crisis and things like that. But we also know that some people, unless they're in a crisis, they won't move forward. So whatever, whatever they're, wherever they are, you know, the social work, we meet them where they are. So just let us help you. It doesn't matter where and when. Awesome. And look at that. We're, it's right at one o'clock. Thank you to our panel. Thank you to Caption Call for your support. Thank you yeah. to the audience for such good thought-provoking questions to get this panel of experts going. And uh, as I mentioned, we'll save the recording. We'll save the chat. We'll try to get that out this afternoon and um, spread the word that aging life care managers are out there to help. Uh, thank, yeah. Thanks. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for attending, everybody.